Well, what I decided to talk about this afternoon is the gospel and parenting. Now, if you're single, know that there aren't 12 gospels. There's only one gospel. Uh, there's not a gospel for parents and a gospel for children and a gospel for older people and just one gospel. So whenever you hear the gospel applied to an area, you learn things about wherever you are in life. So if you're married, you don't have children yet, or you're single, there's a huge amount of principles that will apply to you. Uh, I don't mean this as a uh, promotion because I'm salaried, this won't make me rich. But the material that you're hearing is from my newest book called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your, Your Family. And I want to give some things away. I want to give some things away. The concept is free. I used to throw things out into the crowd. I was with uh, Joshua Harris in Washington. There were about 1,600 people in the room. I whipped a DVD out into the crowd. It hit the one man that wasn't looking in the face, right next to his nose, cut him open. He had to get stitches. We gave him everything on the table. So we created these Frisbees. Uh, they're made of foam so you don't have to duck. They won't hurt you. Uh, but if you, you get a Frisbee, you can go to the table and you can take an item from the table. How's that, huh? I just... I just love doing this. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. He who gets it needs it. God knows. He just directed those frisbees. This guy's in trouble. Well, I had no intention whatsoever to write another parenting book. I, my very first book was about parenting teens, came out in 1997, and I was done. But as I've traveled the world and I've had conversation with thousands, literally, of well-intentioned, good-meaning parents, I became concerned. I became concerned about what I was hearing as the basic model that people were following in their parenting. And I got so concerned that I got to the point where I could not write this, this book. You say, well, Paul, what concerned you? Here's, here's what you need to hear. I think it's quite regular, quite normal, for parents to daily ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish in the lives of their children. I'm going to say that again. I think it's quite regular, quite normal. I think there are hundreds of thousands of Christian couples who are doing it. They don't understand that what they're doing actually contradicts what they say they believe. Because they're asking 
the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Listen, your children need God's law because God's law does a wonderful job of exposing sin. Your children need God's law because God's law is the most perfect guide for your living. But here's what you need to understand. God's law has no ability whatsoever to rescue and transform the heart of your child. None. 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 There are so many Christian parents who think this. As long as we have the right set of rules faithfully enforced, our children will be okay. Do you understand that there's actually a whole book in the New Testament that's dedicated to tell you that that thought is wrong? Do you know the book? Does anybody know? Do you have a Bible? (laughs) You don't know what book I'm talking about in the New Testament? Romans. The argument of Romans is that the law does not have the ability to rescue and transform you. It has not that ability. And so if you ask the law to do what the law wasn't intended to do, it's going to go places in your parenting that you don't want to go. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say there's Uh, a couple children, younger children, and they're in a room together, and they're fighting over a toy. Okay? Some of you are already smiling. You say, you've been in my house. No, I've been in mine. Uh, And the the adult, parental person enters the room. What's the first question the parent tends to ask? You can speak. You don't have to mumble. Who had it first? Now, there's a wonderful standard. Prior possession absolves you of all responsibility to love and to share. By all means, get it first. Where do we get this stuff? I woke up one morning uh, to noise going on downstairs. And we live in a house where our stairs turned. And at the notch of the stairs was a seat box. And it would open up. And that's where we kept the kids' toys. My son, Justin, who was the type of child that if there was a crack in our parenting, he could drive an 18-wheeler through it, uh, had emptied all the toys out of the toy chest, and he was sitting there with his arms and legs around him. (laughs) I said, Justin, what in the world are you doing? And with a look of utter victory, he said, I had them all first today, Daddy. (laughs) I beat the system. There won't be any sharing for me today. I had them all. (laughs) Now, you walk into that room, and you say, who had it first? This child says, I did. You give the choice to him, and you walk away. That child has not been parented. What you've done in that moment is neither Christian nor parenting because that child has gained no personal insight. He's learned nothing about who he is and what his struggle of heart is. 
He's, he's had no, com, no understanding of the wrong of his attitude. He's got no personal commitment to change. There is nothing that has happened in that moment. Nothing. Nothing. It's sad. Or little Johnny is walking down the hallway and Susie, his little sister, gets in his sovereign way. And Johnny pushes her and she bumps her head against the wall and she begins to cry. Mom walks in the room and she says this, say you're sorry. He's not. So he says, sorry? She says, say it like you mean it. He doesn't. So he says, sorry? You should at least say a sentence to your poor sister. She's crying. He says, I'm sorry. And mom says to him, Jesus is so happy when you say you're sorry. And she turns and walks away. Now watch. You got to look up here. The minute she walks away, she turns her back. Johnny does this to his sister. It's not actually funny. There's absolutely no change in that boy at all. There's no insight. There's no wisdom. There's no movement of his heart at all. And further, Jesus isn't happy about anything that's gone on in that moment. Welcome to the school of Phariseeism. You just told that boy that his unmoved, self-centered, duplicitous heart is pleasing to the Lord. No wonder by the time he's 18, he has no interest in the gospel. You know why? Because you've told him every day that he doesn't need it. Now, here's the frustration for me is that when, when I say God calls you to parent your children with grace, when I say that you are appointed to be in your child's life a tool of God's grace, here's what parents hear. They hear be permissive. You talk about grace, they think you're talking about being permissive. And I said this, I think it was in the panel yesterday, that grace is never about calling wrong right. If wrong were right, there would be no need for grace. The assumption of grace is that wrong is wrong. But instead of just announcing a punishment, some condemning words, and walking away, you're asking the question, how can I in this moment represent the rescuing, forgiving, transforming grace of the Lord? What 
What does God want this child to see? What does God want this child to confess? Where is God calling this child to change? And how can I be part of that? Grace is a way of dealing with wrong that goes further than just the announcement and enforcement of punishment. Listen, if all your children needed was the enforcement of law, Jesus would not have had to come. The gospel that we say we believe says that that view of parenting is inadequate. So what what does it look like to parent with grace. Well, let me go through some things with you. First, you have to understand your calling as a parent. You have to understand your calling as a parent and what you've been called to be is God's ambassadors. You are God's ambassador in the life of that child. Now, what's the only thing an ambassador does? Represent. And so, I understand immediately (coughs) that these children don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. And my job is to make his invisible presence visible, his invisible love visible, his invisible wisdom visible, his invisible grace visible in the lives of these children. Everything I do, I do with the purpose of faithfully representing God in the life of that child. You see, there's only two ways of of parenting. It's ownership parenting or ambassadorial parenting. Ownership parenting says, these children belong to me, and my job is to produce what I want in those children and get what I want from those children. That's ownership parenting. Ambassadorial parenting says, these children belong to the Lord, and my job is to represent His purpose in the life of of those children? What does God want for those children? What can God alone do in the hearts of those children? And how can I be a tool of that? Now, it's very important for you to hear what I'm going to say next. At the heart of ambassadorial parenting is a confession, parents, of your inability. Do you hear what I said? At the heart of ambassadorial parenting is a confession of your inability. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, Paul, I don't know what you're talking about, so let me say it to you. I think it's very important to admit, to hold on to, to buy into as a parent. Here it is. You have no ability to change your children, none. You have no ability to change your children, none. If a human being had the ability to change another human being, 
the incarnation and the cross would have not been necessary. And you see, if you assign yourself that ability, there are two things that will happen. You, here's the first thing. You will end up saying and doing things you should not do. Because you are taking on the burden of change, so you think volume will help. Bigger threat will help. Uh, bigger punishments will help. And before long, the emotional abusiveness of that relationship gets stronger. The adversarial, vengeful uh, handling of moments gets stronger because you're taking on a responsibility that you don't have and you're reaching for tools that don't work. And so you think a little bit more, a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger, maybe that will do it. You find yourself saying, you do not want to know what will happen if I have to come up those steps one more time. It'll be on the news. Father disciplines children, pictures and details at 11. I mean, think about this. Have you ever had one situation where somebody has gotten up on your, in your face so close that you could feel their breath and they've yelled at you have you ever had one of those moments where you were thankful? One of those moments where you felt helped? One of those moments where you wished that person would do that again? Why would we ever think that would be helpful with our children? If you assign to yourself the responsibility of change, you will end up doing and saying things that you should not do and you should not say. Second thing, you will find parenting incredibly burdensome. You see, if, if you assign yourself the ability to change your children, what you don't realize that you do is you get up every morning and you load the spiritual welfare of your children on your shoulders. No wonder parents are discouraged. No wonder they're exhausted. No wonder they're frustrated. No wonder they're overwhelmed because every day they try to do something that they have no power to do whatsoever. And the tools they're trying to use don't work. Let's think of threat. What inevitably happens? When, when your children are this big, you're quite a threatening presence. Of course you are. But there'll become a time in the life of every child where you're no longer threatened by your parents. I have four children. My daughter is the shortest. She's about this tall. And they go up from there. I mean, my last parenting days are spent like this. You know? When you're looking down on your dad like this. My uh, daughter lives here in Honolulu, and I re-experienced yesterday, it's very humbling, that she bends down to hug me. 
It's good to see you, Dad. <laughs> you see, what ambassadorial parenting, at the heart of ambassadorial parenting is, I am a tool in the hands of the one that has the power to change my child. I'm never anything more than an instrument. I'm never anything more than, in, than a representative. It's change, lasting change in the heart of a human be being is always an act of divine grace. Now, what you should secondly uh, realize is that your children need authority. They need authority. Uh, grace is not about uh, compromising authority. What is, what is the final result of the redemptive work of Jesus? Do you, do you know? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's authority. Final, unchallenged, eternal lordship. And so, uh, I understand that my children need authority. Now, let me unpack that for you. Here's what you need to understand. That every child <coughs> born comes into the world believing two lies. And once you understand these lies, you will understand things that happen in your relationship with your children. Here's the first lie. It's the lie of autonomy. The lie of autonomy. Autonomy says this, I'm an independent human being and I have the right to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm an independent human being and I have a right to live my life the way I want to live it. Now that's not true. Nobody is an autonomous human being because if God created us, he owns us, we are immediately responsible to him. There is no such thing as independent living. It doesn't exist. Now, uh, this is why you have those struggles in the life of a, of a child over what to eat and when to go to bed. Parents, you've got to understand these struggles. When your child is refusing to eat something you prepared for them, that moment is not about diet. This child has, has not just finished the paleo diet book and realized that there's a particular way that they want to eat and they would like you to prepare that food for them. This child doesn't know anything about diet. They'd eat nails. It's about authority. What they're saying is, <coughs> you will not t put food in my mouth that I don't want in my mouth because frankly, parental person, you will not rule me. I'm a self-ruling, autonomous human being. I can close my teeth like a vice. Watch me. It's authority. That child who's refusing to go to bed hasn't done a sleep study. And they've realized they only need 5.3 hours of sleep a night, not eight. It's about authority. And, and so what you you shouldn't do is debate the topic 
And you shouldn't personalize what is not personal. That child, it's not personal. It's not about you. This child hasn't said to himself, at 2.35, I'm going to have a big argument with my mom about food, and that will drive her crazy. Yeah. That's not going on. And if you personalize that, you will be adversarial in your response, and you won't get to issues of the heart with that child. Enough of this, how dare you do this to me? Enough of, in my day, I would have never thought of doing this with my parent. Enough of, I do and I do for you, and this is the thanks I get. That's missing the point. Because what's happening is that child is actually resisting whose authority? Whose authority? The authority of God. You're just positioned as a visible representation of God's authority. God makes his visible authority visible in the lives of children by sending parents as visible authorities. Now, this, this sort of makes me weak need every time I talk about it. It's so sacred and holy. If, if my children aren't autonomous, please pay attention to what I'm going to say next. I also don't have any autonomous authority whatsoever over my children. I have no autonomous authority over my children, none. The authority that I have is representative authority. What that means is, are you ready for this? Every time I exercise authority in the life of my children, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. Every time I exercise authority, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. The tender, patient, loving, protective, wise, restorative, forgiving authority of God. Because my children come into the world with a predisposition against authority. My children don't come into the world esteeming authority. My children come into the world believing that they're the only authority that they'll ever need. And so, if I exercise authority in an angry, abusive way, Irritate, irritated, impatient, if I'm yanking, shoving, pushing, slapping my children, that's not representative authority. That's ugly, sinful, uh, parental anger meted out on the body of a child. Can I say this? We talk about abuse going on out there. I believe there's a whole lot of abuse going on in the house of God. If you're hauling off and slapping your children, 
If you're yanking them down a hallway, if you're pushing them into a room, if you're pulling their hair, if you're pinching them, those are not acts of a beautiful representation of the holy and pure righteous authority of God that is human anger that's meted out in the body of your child. You are crushing that child's heart. You are destroying his sense of identity and you must stop. And I think there's a whole lot of things that are called an exercise of authority by Christian people that are just garden variety abuse. You don't have independent authority. You have representative authority because what you want is for your child to come to see, see that authority isn't an ugly thing. Authority isn't a mean thing. Authority isn't a demeaning thing. Authority is a loving thing. It's a patient thing. It's a kind thing. It's an instructive thing. It's a wisdom-giving thing. It's a guiding thing. It's a protective thing. So the heart of that child begins to soften against authority. If the heart of a child softens against authority, that means grace is working in the heart of that child. Praise God. Praise God, praise God. Or that abusive form of authority, that angry, impatient, condemning authority, what it actually does is it hardens the heart of your child against the authority of God. Now, I would ask you, how are you doing? If you're a parent, how are you doing? I want to make this confession because I think it's important to make. For Paul Tripp, representing the tender, patient, kind, gracious, forgiving authority of God is absolutely unnatural for me. It's natural for me to be impatient. It's natural for me to be easily irritated. It's natural for me to look at moments of ministry as a hassle. And so that's ever going to happen. I've got to be rescued from me. Because in those God-given moments, it's natural for me to be in the way of what God is doing rather than part of it. Let me, let me say this right now because I don't want to not have time. If you aren't dealing with your own heart, if you are not confessing your inability to represent God well, there are four things that will happen. Here's the first one. You will tend to personalize what is not personal. You'll tend to make it about you rather than about God. Here's what's actually going on. I love saying this. I hope you will be excited about this picture. If your eyes ever see and your ears ever hear the sin, weakness, and failure of your children, it's never an accident. It's never an interruption. 
It's never a hassle. It's always grace. God loves that child. He's placed that child in a family of faith. And he will reveal the need of that child to you so you can be a tool of his grace. It's always grace. Parents, be honest. When the sin, weakness, and failure of your children are in front of your face, how do you view that moment? As a hassle? An irritation? You know what it's like. You, you plan a vacation with your family, and you're excited. And you're sort of hoping that your children on vacation will be self-parenting. Right? Because you parent them all year long. That just seems right. You get a break. If they could be pre-sanctified, that would help. And so you, you load everybody into the family van, and you're not seven-tenths of a mile down the road, and your children are already fighting in the back seat. You can't believe it. You can feel the emotional temperature changing, and you start doing this. You don't care who you hit. <laughs> you just want to hit somebody. And so you, you say, I'm going to turn the van around, I'm going to drive us home, I'm going to put your suitcases in the driveway, and you can have your vacation there, because that's the only kind of vacation you deserve. It's absolutely beyond the realm of my ability to represent the authority of God well. I need help. I need help. I need help. And I don't need to be rescued from my children. I need to be rescued from me. Because all of my instincts in those moments are self-oriented. And because they are, they are impatient and unkind and irritable. You'll personalize what is not personal. I've already hinted at this. Second thing, so you'll be So you turn, because of that, moments of ministry into moments of anger. You turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Your eyes are seeing this. Your ears are hearing this because God loves your child and he wants you to be part of his work of rescue. The fact that you're hearing it is God already rescuing your child. The fact that you're seeing it is God already loving your child. Grace is operating. God wants you to see the evil that's in the heart of that child. God wants you to see his selfishness. God wants you to see his rebellion. God wants you to see his self-orientation. Why? Because God loves you and God loves that child. It's grace. Why would you ever get mad about that? I think there are times when we stomp down the hallway because we're angry that we actually have children that need parenting. What's up with that? It's grace. Personalize what isn't personal. So you turn your moments of ministry into moments of anger. Third thing, so you're adversarial in your response. You're adversarial in your response. It's not you for your children. It's you against your children because in that moment, they're in the way of something that you want. 
Personalized but not personal. Moments of ministry turn into moments of anger. Adversarial response, fourth thing. So you settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. You settle for quick situational solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. It's Tuesday night. And the children you've put to bed at, it's 10.30, and the children you put to bed at 9 o'clock are now fighting in the room. And you start down the hallway, feet heavy on the floorboards. You're probably not saying, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful opportunity to be your ambassador in the life of our children. How much I love your grace. You're probably not saying that. You're probably saying, they're dead. They're dead. You burst in the room and you say, do you know what my day's been like? Like, do you have any sense what I do? I do and do for you, and this is the thanks I get? I don't need a mansion or a Rolls Royce, just children who are from earth. Well, I brought every shred of clothes you put on that back of yours. I bought every morsel of food you put in that big mouth of yours. I made your Christmases happy. Now, do you think at that point your children are saying, my, this is helpful. This is truly a wise person. I think I'm seeing my heart. I think not. Listen. We have no ability whatsoever to represent the sovereign, holy, loving authority of God independently, none. This call should bring all of us to our knees to cry out for grace, to plead that God would soften our hearts That God would put tenderness where irritation is, patience where impatience is, love where anger is. Oh, wise Heavenly Father, parent us so we can parent our children. That's where this goes. If I watched the last two months of your exercise of authority as a parent, would I see a beautiful portrait of the authority of God? Would I? And would I see the heart of that child growingly understanding that authority doesn't crush identity, authority doesn't crush freedom, authority gives freedom. But authority 
is loving and kind and patient and tender and good. Would I? You could, you could argue that there's no bigger, more significant issue in the heart of a child than this issue of authority. Because a person who continues to demand self-rule will destroy their lives. Just an aside, I would counsel you, fight your authority battles young. You say, but it's just a little thing. Praise God, it's only a little thing. Praise God, it's not a big life-altering thing. Fight your authority battles young, but fight them with love. Fight them with patience. Fight them with grace. Present a beautiful picture of rescuing, loving, wise, restorative authority. There's a third thing that parenting with grace, if you're going to parent with grace, you have to deal with the issue of identity. You have to deal with the issue of identity. I think in ways that we don't talk about enough, many of us are trying to get our identity from our children. We're trying to get our sense of value, our sense of meaning, our sense of worth, our sense of presence and place from our children. Can I just say this? I don't know why I'm asking permission. I'm going to say it. Uh, Parenting is a miserable place to look for identity. In case you hadn't realized it, your children don't wake up in the morning and say, today, how can I make my mom feel like her life is worthwhile? How can I make mom feel like she has meaning and purpose? My children never ask that. And and see, if you you, uh, are uh, looking to your children for identity, you're, you're looking for something that you will never get. They have no ability to do that for you. And so it's, it's vitally important that you're getting your identity vertical, that you're resting in your identity in Christ so you can parent without needing something from your children to feel okay. I think often, more, more than confession, what we want for your from the children, our children, is some sense of recognition because that recognition makes us feel like it's worth it. Listen, parenting is worth it because Jesus says it's worth it. You don't need your children to give you identity. You have everything you need in Christ. And if you're asking your children for identity, you're turning your children into your own little personal messiah. 
You have a Messiah. You just don't happen to be parenting him. It doesn't work. And so if, if you're looking for identity from your children, you'll be all too concerned about control, all too concerned about reputation, all too concerned about success, all too tending to personalize what is not personal because you're asking something for your heart that you'll never get from your children. It never works. I'm shocked at how many parents of older children, when you begin to scratch the surface, are bitter against their own children. Because without knowing it, they've tried to get their spiritual well-being from broken human beings. It will never work. It will never, ever, ever work. It just won't work. You see, it's only when I move toward my children fully satisfied, content, celebrating who I am as a child of God, that I can move to them, toward them without needing something from them that will give me a reason to continue. I continue because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I get up in the morning and do it again because everything I need, I found in Christ. So resistance doesn't crush me. Disobedience doesn't crush me. Having to repeat myself 10,000 times doesn't crush me. Because I'm not getting worth. I'm not getting meaning and purpose. I'm not getting my inner sense of rest from my children. I would ask you this question. If you're a parent in the room, is there an indication that you're trying to get something from your children that A, you should need, and B, you'll never get. Finally, let me say this. There's so much more I could say about the topic we're looking at is that parenting, bottom line, is a mission of mercy. Parenting is a mission of mercy. When does a person need mercy? When do they need compassion? They need mercy. A person needs mercy when they're in a situation that they can't get themselves out of. They need mercy when they're people in need of rescue. That's your children. You see, the Bible would teach us 
that the greatest danger in the lives of your children is not the surrounding broken world. The greatest danger to your children doesn't exist outside of them. The greatest danger to your children exists inside of them. And the Bible names it. It's sin. And sin is not just a matter of behavior. It's a matter of their constitution. It's a matter of their nature. And so the greatest danger to them, they cannot escape on their own. And so what God calls you to be is a representative of his mercy. I like to think of it this way. I think that as parents, you are God's first responders. When a person needs rescue, you know they need more than information. You know they need more than rules. You know they need help. And just like those firemen and policemen who rushed into those towers at 9-11, willing to sacrifice their own lives for people they didn't know who couldn't rescue themselves, God calls you to that kind of life of surrender and sacrifice. That you run into the burning building that is your child You run willingly, you run joyfully, you run patiently. Not just to discipline, but to rescue. Do they need authority? Yes. Do they need rules? Yes. Do those rules need to be enforced? Yes. But it is not enough. You cannot reduce parenting down to the announcement and enforcement of regulations. Parenting is a mission of mercy. Now hear what I'm going to say next. Nobody gives mercy better than a person who's deeply persuaded he needs it himself. Do you know what I said? Nobody gives mercy better than a person who's deeply persuaded he needs it himself. And so here's what I've come to understand. This is very humbling. But when you're here, it will transform your parenting. There are very few struggles that I encountered in the lives of my children that I still couldn't find somewhere in my own life. Very first struggles in the lives of my children that I couldn't find somewhere in my own life. What I began to be convicted of. Are you ready for this? I began to be convicted that I was more like my children than unlike them. If you parent from a position of arrival where you are quite proud of your righteousness, I will guarantee you will not parent with mercy. But when you say, my only hope in life and death is the mercy of my Father, 
because frankly, I'm still a bit of a mess. I'm about to hurt your feelings. If I would watch the video of your last two months, I would see you lay down evidence every day of your need for grace. When you're there, when you're humbly broken by your need for God's mercy, you are now positioned to be a tool of that mercy in the lives of your children. May God help us. May we not be content with thinking that if we have a neat set of rules with proper enforcement, our children will be okay. We cannot allow ourselves to have another generation of children who are raised in Christian families who mean well but essentially are asking the law to do what only grace can accomplish. I'm afraid often in parenting that's what we're doing. We're asking the law to do what it was never intended to do. Now in this hour I've I've only scratched the surface. You may have hundreds of questions. Uh, I wrote this book because I don't want us to look back and say, I celebrated one thing on Sunday, but the way I parented was a very different theology. How sad it would be to celebrate the gospel personally but contradict the gospel in our parenting. And what I've shared with you is expanded in this book, uh, Gospel Principles, 14 Principles, that just give you a very different way of looking at the task God's called us to. Let's pray. Lord, I would just confess... that the evidence of my life is that I'm, I'm better at being in the way of what you're doing than being part of it. So I would, I would pray for your rescuing grace for me so that I still would be an instrument of that rescuing mercy in the lives of my children who are now grown. Lord, thank you that we don't have to be afraid of confessing our failure because our relationship with you was never ever based on our performance. Because of that, we can be honest (coughs) with you and know that you will not turn us away. May we be those who represent you well, your message, your methods, your character. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you very much, Paul. We have about a 20-minute break scheduled for right now, so I want to give you time to get up. I know it would be nice to stretch and walk around just a little bit, but our panel Q&A with all four of our speakers is next at 2.15, so in just about 20 minutes. So I'm going to dismiss you for that break, and we'll see you back in here. We're going to start that panel right on time at 2.15. You're dismissed. From beginning to end to God.